0: let getting dressed be one less thing to worry about. Hey guys, it's Alana and welcome back for another episode of Seeing Other People. Oh my gosh, you guys, I pre-recorded an intro for this episode a week and a half ago before I left for Hawaii and I just feel like so much has happened and it would be weird to just not give an update. I don't know. So yeah, I got back from Hawaii. Jake and I planned this trip literally like nine months ago and it seemed so far out and honestly, at that time, it seemed like such it was such a big deal to be planning a trip like we had been dating for a year. But we were planning a trip for, you know, a time where we'd be dating for almost two years. And it was definitely like a big milestone to do that and to feel confident that we were going to go on this trip together nine months later. And we did. And it was truly amazing. Like we were in Maui for a full seven nights And we had a great time, like we did a ton of activities, we relaxed a lot, we ate so much. I feel like it's the first time in like years that I actually took a vacation. You know, I know I travel a lot, like I'll go to Florida to see my parents, I'll go away for like little weekend trips with friends and I'll go away for weddings, but I feel like those things I kind of incorporate into my life and into my work life and I never actually take a break and i feel like this vacation was truly that it was truly a vacation and that was really awesome for me and of course i still you know posted on instagram and took videos and i actually i'm mad at myself for this but i literally didn't put an out of office on my email because i just feel like this is such a like big time of year for like work related stuff where i didn't want to be missing out on anything so i did do like like 30 to 60 minutes of work every morning, but it's fine. Cause I was waking up at 6am every morning anyway, cause of the time change. So I, I didn't feel like it was getting in the way. It more so just allowed me to feel like I wasn't falling behind, which is also really important to me. But yeah, next time, goal for next year is to actually put out of offices on my email and like fully, fully take a break, break, break. But I will take this as a stepping stone for me taking that time to rejuvenate and rest and, and come back really feeling like I did actually take a break. So really glad we did that. Um, one cute thing that Jake and I did that was really fun. And I definitely like recommend, even if you like you guys go away with friends, it doesn't have to be a significant other um, or a crush, but if you go away with anyone, what we did that I thought was really awesome was we each planned a surprise day for each other and we called them our like date day and we each planned a whole day. So what I did for my date day, we went jet skiing in the morning and then we went on a like sunset sail at night. So that morning, like I gave him a literal date card as if we were on the bachelor, like it said date card. And it said like, uh, Jake, I can't wait to see the world with you. See as an SEA. Um, and that was really fun. And it was just like really exciting to have surprises to look forward to that we knew were going to be amazing no matter what it was. Um, his day was the following day and we, did a couples massage in the morning, which was so relaxing. We did it at the spot, the hotel, so we didn't even have to like go anywhere for it. And it was perfect. And then we went to a luau at night, which is really funny. It was really cool. There were like fire dancers and it was, you know, open bar, unlimited food. It was it was cool. Definitely not something we would want to do again until, you know, we have like kids who need to be entertained, but it was a good time. Jake is really good at being really thoughtful and doing the little things that, you know, go the extra mile. So when I woke up on his date card day, um, when I came out of the room, there was you know, like champagne and orange juice for mimosas and a bowl of fresh fruit and this banana bread that we had a bite of earlier in the week that I was obsessing over and like so badly wanted more of. So that was really adorable. And he actually gave me three date cards, which then I felt like, oh, my God, I only gave him one date card, but he gave me a date card for the activity in the morning. So the date card number one was about the massage and like about relaxing and winding down and stuff. And then the date card number two he gave me before the luau and it was about how like our love is fiery because of the fire dancers. Um, And then he surprised me again and gave me a date card number three, which like we are obsessed with the bachelor, hence date cards. Um, And yeah, he also literally went, he went to the grocery store that morning and bought a rose. Like he got an Uber, went to the grocery store to get all that champagne and stuff for like our bre- surprise breakfast in the morning. And he got me a rose and he said, well, I accept this rose and like made kind of like a, a joke to like the fantasy suite, um, So it was really, really sweet. And I was not expecting that. And it's just like the whole day was amazing. But the morning and the night, those like little things just went such a long way. And I appreciated them so much. So that was really special. What else did we do? We went surfing. Um, We will not be pro surfers anytime soon. But we did get up, which was cool, and like ride a few waves. But it was tough. We watched some sunsets. We laid by the pool. We laid by the beach. We just had a great time. And then we stopped in LA on our way back for two days because my best, best friend, Julia, she was one of my like childhood friends. We met at sleepaway camp when we were like 10. She recently moved out to Los Angeles for her residency she's a doctor um, and so we plan to visit and stay with them and just have a weekend with them on our way back since you know the flight was long anyway we may as well break it up and it was really just the perfect weekend of like relaxing and hanging out and catching up with people who we love and haven't seen in a while so that was so great and I posted on Instagram about this but going back to LA was definitely weird for me so I have like a weird long history with LA with a lot of emotions and a lot of ups and downs Before I was in dating and podcasting, I was in the music industry. And so I always knew that I'd either end up in New York or L.A. So I did a semester of college in L.A. And I absolutely hated it. I was working six days a week. I had an hour and a half commute twice a day in traffic. I was not 21. And all of my friends at the same time were all gallivanting across Europe doing semesters abroad having the time of their lives. So I was really pretty miserable there. Um, And then after college, I ended up, you know, going back there 10 times and deciding, you know, maybe I do need to be here for my career. And so there was probably a solid three years of my life that I fully believed I was going to move to LA. And there were job offers that I got in LA that were like dream jobs. And I ended up like turning them down because I just couldn't pull the trigger on leaving New York. Like, I feel like my entire world is here. And so that was really hard. But at the same time, I've also dated multiple guys long distance who live in LA. So i I have flown to L.A., literally flown across the country to go on dates and, you know, spend the weekend with different guys. And I have fully gotten my heart broken, you know, and been broken up with literally at a hotel like in West Hollywood. Um, And I've cried on planes coming back from L.A., you know, being sad that me and this person can't actually be together. And and when I say this person, I mean like different people, too. So for a while, I actually got to joke about how, you know, I don't have to worry about running into my exes in New York because I send them all to L.A. Like they all either lived in L.A. already or moved to L.A. So it was just definitely weird, you know, going back to certain places, whether it's like literally just L.A. in general or, you know, actual restaurants and streets and places where I was like a younger me with these different people and wanting things to work out so badly and just a completely different version of myself where I would have compromised anything in my life for it to work out with somebody who it really wasn't meant to work out with. And, you know, it was just so weird. Like, it was such a mix of emotions to be back there years later where I now I know who I am and I know what's important to me. And I feel like I've grown so much since then. And it was just like looking at these places where, you know, I was standing four years ago, six years ago, eight years ago, like with all these like hopes and dreams and heartaches and butterflies. And it was just a really, you know, surreal experience. Um, But I'm glad that I like finally had, I took, I did take a long break. I probably didn't go to LA for four years and this is my first time back. And I feel like now it's great. Like I'm so excited to visit LA more in the coming years since my best friend is now there and I have a bunch of other friends there too. And it was just a really nostalgic and up like weird nostalgic experience. But All all in all, it was an amazing weekend, an amazing trip. And I am so excited to be back. Like, as much as it sucks leaving vacation, I definitely am ready for routine. And I also, like, you guys know me. I'm addicted to work. And, like, I'm addicted to, like, talking to you guys. So I'm really excited to be back now and getting back into that routine. And I have so many things coming on the Instagram story. Like, I have created... All these new segments there's literally supposed to be like a segment a day where I'm like hanging out with you guys on the story so stay tuned for that I'm just gonna start rolling them out I've been trying to perfect like a weekly schedule and I just need to I just need to do it because I'm so excited about it and I don't know if I'm ever gonna stick to a schedule so get excited stay tuned for all of that And I'm just so excited to be back in New York for December. Like seeing Christmas trees and Christmas lights in Florida and Hawaii did not do it justice. It just felt wrong. And being back in New York feels so right. Even though it's cold, it's worth it. I love the lights. I love how festive everything is. I love being able to walk around with a hot apple cider or a hot chocolate. And I love that there's so much to celebrate. Part of me is like, oh my God, I've waited all year for this. And the other part of me is like, how are the holidays already here? And I don't know about you guys, but what stresses me out the most during the holidays is choosing the perfect gift for the most important people in my life. And I'm a great gift giver. Like when it comes to my friends, when it comes to Jake, I feel like I'm such a good gift giver, but I have always struggled with finding gifts for my parents. You know, I always want it to be the perfect thing. You know, they have given me so much love and given me everything, and I want to give back and just show them how much I really love and appreciate them. And I always struggle to figure out what they would want and what would make them smile. And I was venting to my friends about this, and one of them showed me this company called parentpresence.com. And I just need to tell you guys about it because it is actually saving me this holiday season. Parentpresence.com is a new company designed specifically to help young adults like me and you find gift ideas for their parents. Honestly, when I first heard about ParentPresence.com, I was like annoyed that I didn't hear about it sooner because it's something that I need so badly every single year, multiple times a year. But then I found out it was new and I was like, okay, at least I am starting off strong with them. ParentPresence.com is super easy to navigate. It literally lets you click on presents for mom, presents for dad, and then separates all these different categories by price. You can also shop based on your parents' interests. And there is a featured ultimate Christmas guide that has 50 of the hottest gift ideas this year that your moms and dads will love. It is so helpful in finding unique, useful, and practical gifts for your parents in price ranges that work for you. And all of the gift ideas are literally linked to Amazon. So buying gifts is so easy. And anything you buy this week will come right in time for Christmas. I feel like at this point, I've told every single 20 something and 30 something year old in my life about parentpresence.com because it is just so helpful and our parents deserve it. So save time and stress on holiday shopping this season and find the perfect present for mom and dad at parentpresence.com. All right, let's talk about today's episode. Today's episode is one that a lot of you have asked for, and it's one that I've wanted to do for a really long time, but I needed to find the perfect expert guest for this topic, and I did. So today, we have Dr. Jamie zuckerman on seeing other people. Dr. Z is a nationally known expert on narcissism. She is a narcissistic abuse relationship coach and licensed clinical psychologist. She works with people all over the country, helping them to understand the complexities of narcissistic relationships, providing them with tools to navigate these dynamics, and offers behavior plans to help her clients make healthy choices and get where they want to be. So Dr. Z and I talk all about what our relationship with a narcissist actually looks like. We talk about how a narcissist has become such a common buzzword that is thrown around like a tennis ball. And that's honestly really dangerous and something that I really want to caution everyone towards and, you know, differentiate the difference between being in a narcissistic relationship versus being in a toxic or unhealthy relationship. Because when we just jump to the conclusion that this person's a narcissist because they didn't treat us well, that doesn't leave room for actual victims of narcissistic abuse. So, I think that's really important to talk about and we will discuss the differences. We talk about how if you have been in a narcissistic relationship, how do you not repeat that pattern and, you know, get out of ending up in narcissistic relationships? We discuss can a narcissist ever change? What kind of person is not a narcissist? What leads someone to become a narcissist? And how do you heal from a narcissistic relationship? We also answer a ton of listener questions that you guys send in. So thank you so much for sending those in. Let's get into it. All right, we are here. Dr. Jamie Zuckerman, welcome to Seeing Other People. Thank you so much for having me. I'm
1: very excited.
0: <laughs> I am so excited to be here. I have admired you and your work for so long. And Aww. I am really excited for this conversation, partially because I get to talk to you, but Aww. also partially because the work that you do is so important. And I get questions all the time about dating narcissists or, you know, being in a narcissistic like abusive relationship or how to, you know, get back out there and be in a healthy relationship yeah. after that. And I'm not an expert on this, but you are. And so this is a really important conversation to have. And I'm just really grateful that you're here.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited. I, lo- I, I, I mean, I love talking about this, but I also think that one of the only ways, and I say this all the time to really work on things like this is it's almost like preventative medicine to know what the red flags are before you get into it.
0: me to try Nutrafol and so I did. dollars off your first month subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code seeing other people. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and hairstylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com promo code seeing other people. That's Nutrifol.com promo code seeing other people. Their bracelets are so beautiful and elevated, and they also make amazing gifts. And I know because I have gifted a few over the years, and my friends were so excited to get one and have worn them ever since. There are six phrases to choose from, and if you're indecisive, there's a quiz that you can take to help you choose the perfect reminder for your anxiety. Plus, 5% of each bracelet is donated to your choice of four mental health nonprofits. I wholeheartedly love and support Presently, and I know that your Presently bracelet will bring you as much comfort as mine has brought me. So head to PresentlyBracelets.com. That's P-R-E-S-E-N-T-L-Y Bracelets.com for 10% off your order using code SEEINGOTHERPEOPLE. Exactly. Exactly. So I have to ask, mm-hmm. just getting a little background on you, like what made you want to become an expert on narcissism, mm-hmm. or did you like fall
1: into that? How did this mm-hmm. happen? How did we mm-hmm. get here? Um, so I initially started out working with adults, um, anxiety and depression, and I was always I was always fascinated with the the pattern dynamics of relationships uh, from a behavioral standpoint and. I would see when I went into private practice many moons ago. I would see a lot of mostly women who would come in, and most of them came in with relationship difficulties. And um, there was kind of this subset of relationships that were not to minimize their experiences, but you literally could have taken the people out, and the story was exactly the same. And it was not a typical toxic. Relationship, because remember, relationship can be toxic and abusive, but not narcissistic. But all relationships that are narcissistic can be are toxic and abusive. So there was this subset of relationships, and I really found myself having to go about it in a very different way. And I realized it's because they were all dealing with narcissistic men or or women, Um, and it just kind of went from there. And I started really kind of, you know looking into it more and um, talking to people about it more. And then just over the years, it just kind of developed because there's, there's two main reasons why I really want to do it. One, and this is to no, no, no one's fault, but a lot of times when people go to therapy for relationship issues, a narcissistic relationship is not the first thing on a therapist's mind. It's just not. And the nuances of a narcissistic relationship are so unique and so different but subtle. And a lot of times people were getting the wrong type of help. They were getting help to reconnect how to find where they started from and what brought them together in the first place, which is great for unhealthy relationships if you want to rekindle them or or, or how to get out of them. Getting out of a narcissistic relationship is not the same thing as getting out of a toxic relationship. So there was that aspect of it. And also there was very little education for like just everyday education on social media. And so that was another area that I really kind of wanted to help people was give people the signs of what to look for so that they don't end up in situations like this.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Because it's a lot easier I think to avoid yeah. it from the onset than yeah. once you get in it to realize yeah. what's happening and get out.
1: And then the, the other, love- well I was gonna say too, during the pandemic is when a lot of people were home with their significant others and it was it was really bad. and. Um, my, my closest friend was dealing with it and going through a divorce during the pandemic and that kind of that kind of even inspired me even more to just put information Dive out there in. because all these people were home with their partners and it was it was not good yeah
0: definitely okay so you mentioned that not all toxic relationships are narcissistic relationships but all narcissistic relationships are toxic relationships mm-hmm. i feel like narcissism narcissists narcissistic all of this has become such a buzzword yeah. and everyone who has a ex that hurt them they're just saying like they're a narcissist right. so i want to really get to like figure out what is the actual difference between just somebody who fucked you over yep. or yep. didn't treat you well versus an actual narcissist because yes. I think it is becoming a problem where people are just attaching this word to individuals and to their experiences almost as a way to say like, yeah, it was that bad.
1: Right. Right. And it also takes accountability off of them. And it's easier to just think somebody's a narcissist and that they're an asshole and it's easier to move on. The problem with that is so, so all of us have narcissistic, um, Tendencies. Traits, tendencies, whatever you want to call it, um, they motivate us. They, um, it's what kind of propels us forward. It makes us experts in certain things. It makes us, um, you know, kind of move forward with things and be um, like be independent, things like that. But they're very, he- I don't like saying healthy narcissism, but they're healthy traits, right? Mm-hmm. Totally different than narcissistic personality disorder. Has nothing to do with it. And so when somebody Is cheated on, right? Or even in worst cases, somebody is physically abused, emotionally abused. That doesn't mean it's narcissistic abuse and it doesn't mean they're a narcissist. It means they're an asshole, yes, but it doesn't mean they're a narcissist. And so the key difference is somebody who is a narcissist, a true narcissist, it's a pervasive personality disorder, which means it is pervasive in all domains of their life. They are never not going to be a narcissist. And even if they present as charming and nice and sweet, that facade is part of that personality disorder. Whereas somebody who is just a jerk, who like you said, fucked you over, um, they may be Unhappy in that relationship, and therefore they were an ass to you. But maybe with somebody else, they, it works better, or they're just non committal. And let's say they just are not faithful, and that's just who they are. Um, but they're not manipulative, they're not grandiose in their ideas, they don't feel entitled, they aren't easily, um, you know, triggered when they're criticized. Um, there's, there's a lot of key differences. So it's not just somebody who's a jerk. It really, really isn't. And that buzzword of narcissist is thrown around so much, people are missing the signs.
0: Yeah. And not to put any blame on Taylor Swift, but she did just come out with an incredibly popular song where she does talk about it. <laughs> and there I don't think that's going one, to is, help.
1: There is one song, though, and I'm blanking on who it is, and I, I'll look it up. It's, it's about narcissism. It's recent. It's not Taylor Swift. It was before her, and it's actually... Pretty good. Um,
0: Oh, I'm intrigued.
1: Yeah. Um, Oh god, I'm blanking on the songs about
0: narcissism. Number one, you're so vain. (laughs) That's
1: that's, well, she knew what she was talking about. Yeah, that's a good one.
0: Okay, let me know if you think of it. I'm intrigued. I will. Damn. Okay, so. How can somebody who is in a relationship and, you know, maybe they're teetering along like, oh, this might be unhealthy or I feel like there's something going on here. Like, how can they actually figure out if they are dating a narcissist? Mm-hmm.
1: So if they're already past kind of if they're towards the ends of the love bombing stage, let's say, or they just feel like something's off. One of the things I tell people immediately is see what happens when you set a boundary with them. See what happens if you have a date and you say you can't go or you're just too tired or you had a really rough day at work and you really just need a night alone or you're going out with your girlfriends on a Saturday night. See what happens and see how they respond. If they respond with a silent treatment, if they respond with criticism, if they respond with anger, if they say it's fine, but then you don't hear from them for two weeks, those are red flags and indicators that that's somebody who doesn't respect your boundaries, who um, holds you accountable and punishes you for wanting to take care of yourself.
0: Yeah. And I've definitely been in, in a situation like that. And now being in a healthy relationship, it's like I could never imagine yes. Jake doing any yes. of those things. And I could never imagine myself responding to him like that it's like oh you want to go play basketball instead of get dinner like okay i will heat up my own food and watch love is blind like no problem
1: exactly and the thing that i I like that you actually bring that because that's important people that are in narcissistic relationships once they're able to get out of them and they're on the other side and they look in being more objective, they all say like the same thing, like what the fuck? How, like, how did I even get to that point? Because it's so unfathomable and somebody else described it as otherworldly. And I love that because it is, it's literally like, where was I? Like, what the hell happened?
0: Like, how did I get there? How did I allow this to happen? And in some way think it was normal and okay. Yeah. 1000%. I
1: explained it as like a faucet. It's like a slow drip and you don't realize it until like one day you're just drowning up. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: That's a really good metaphor. Okay. I should have, I feel like I want to back up now Mm because I kind of jumped the gun to like how, if you're, once you're in it, but how do these relationships start? You mentioned another big buzzword, love bombing. And I get a ton of questions about this. I would love to hear from you, you know, some of the things that go on, in the early stages of dating and specifically love bombing that would lead to a relationship like this?
1: Yeah. So yeah, I get this question all the time. Um, so let's talk about normal coming on very strong. Okay. So there's certain people, right. Who just by nature, like they just come on really strong, right. It's just their personality. Or, you know, you meet someone and you're so sexually attracted to them and, like, you just can't keep your hands off each other. And, like, this that's not what we're talking about, right? And I know that there's going to be somebody that says to you or I after this when they hear this and they'll say, well, I met my soulmate on date number one. And I say the same thing. That's amazing. Good for you. You are, like, in the 0.0001% category. Um Right. And I still don't kind of believe you. So, so, <laughs> so what happens is relationship growth should be organic. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't be all over each other and want to see each other every day, but, the, but you know, not to on both your parts, right? Like, you know, that it's not the healthiest thing to move in with somebody immediately after the first date and just like close up shop in your apartment and you're done, right? Right. You may stay there all the time, but you still have your self-identity. And if you say, I need to sleep home tonight, you don't get punished for it in some emotional withholding type way. So love bombing is like a tidal wave, okay? It isn't just coming on strong. It is first date, second date, third date. You are my soulmate. If you hear these words like bolt, you are my soulmate. Where have you been we speak the same language. It's like, it's like we just know each other from like a prior, like I feel like I've known you forever. Um, your stories, like you're talking about like, oh, I had a really horrible relationship with my dad and I don't speak to my brother. And like, oh, I had a horrible relationship with my dad too. And they slowly start to make you feel so comfortable and vulnerable that on date number two, you're talking about your deepest, darkest secrets and vulnerabilities that like, it took you a year to talk about with your therapist. And what they're doing is they don't really care what you went through. They're storing that away for later use against you. They are also gathering information about you to become the person that they think you need them to be to connect and attach really fast.
0: Are they aware that they're doing this? Raise your hand if you have dating anxiety. All right, all right, I know that everyone has their hands up, and I get it. for 20% off your order. That's code SOP for 20% off. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Do you feel like you're at a crossroads in your love life? episode of Dateable, season 15, episode 10. Is it chemistry or anxiety? Guys, this podcast is incredibly relatable, insightful, and oftentimes hilarious. Wherever you start, Dateable will help you feel inspired to date differently and create a love life that works for you. You can subscribe and listen to episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts every Wednesday and Sunday. So check out Dateable and thank me later.
1: Yes, they are aware. And I know people have a hard time with that. It may not, listen, they're not sitting there going, I have a very low self-esteem at my core. And so to, you know, defend that and, you know, I'm going to project this on you. They're not thinking that way. What they are thinking though, is they know exactly what they're doing every step along the way. uh, um, Yes, they do. And it may seem like they don't, but that would only be because it's so habitual for them by that point that it seems automatic. But if you call them out on it, They'll deny it or they, you know, whereas if it's just an unhealthy pattern, someone may be, oh my God, I didn't realize I was doing that. I don't want to hurt you. So, you know, sending flowers to your office every day, over the top, um, you know, buying you things, sending you on vacations and just intense sex and just talking about your future, like what are we going to name our kids? And this is the house I want to live in. And just, it's called, you know, future kind of future oriented, future faking, making these promises to keep you locked in. Like we're definitely going to be engaged in a year. Let's go look at brands. Right. And it feels it's, really good.
0: It's crazy because hearing it all together as a list, it's like, okay, those would obviously raise flags if you're hearing all of these things with someone you just met. But at the same time, when you want to meet somebody Correct. and you want to find someone, That's right. hearing these things, maybe 10 minutes spread out, feels really good. because And you feel like, wow, most- like I found this person.
1: Yes. And and we, most people are inherently good. So like, right. why would we ever think that somebody is doing this intentionally to later use it against us and abuse us. We we don't. Yeah. I mean, we don't. So, okay.
0: If you're questioning, is this person love bombing me or are they really just interested? Like would you suggest they start keeping a list of the things they're saying and seeing like how many things they hit or what, like how could they really differentiate and say like, okay, this yeah. person actually just is really interested in like maybe a little overexcited about it, but it's safe to proceed.
1: So there's a, so you can make a list, but what I find is that when people are so immersed in a love bombing, making a list doesn't really help them to become objective to it. Yeah. And I just don't find that as helpful. Um, what I do think is helpful is, like I said before, setting a boundary, testing the waters, testing limits, see what happens when you throw them off course. See, Listen, because if they really love you and you're their soulmate and you say, listen, I really don't feel like going out tonight. I'm exhausted. And then two hours later, your friend calls and you're like, you want to go get coffee? Sure. Like it, somebody who's your soulmate is never going to get angry, upset or berate you, or or leave you, or just not talk to you again for two months, that's not going to be the response. So it's, it's kind of like you have to be willing to take the risk to see what that follow-up response is going to be. Give them yeah, some constructive criticism and see what they say.
0: Okay. So I'm curious, and this is something I get asked a lot too, is like what leads someone to become a narcissist? You mentioned like narcissistic personality dis- disorder is what it's actually called. Is that something someone's born with? Is it like nature versus nurture? Like how does this happen?
1: So there's a couple different schools of thought on this. Um, some There's some studies that say that there's organic brain differences between someone with narcissistic personality disorder and somebody who doesn't. Um, there are you know, theories that it's genetic. And majority of the time, personally, my colleagues think that it's more pattern-based. So it's, you know, as children, and it doesn't mean your parents have to be narcissists for you to become a narcissist. So children develop patterns of how to basically get through their life, right? And so children will develop really, um, really smart strategies to survive through unhealthy or toxic upbringings. And those strategies work for them then. The problem is when those strategies fast forward into adulthood don't shift because patterns are malleable. You should be able to switch it as you go. But if those patterns stay stuck and now as an adult, you're out of that context and you're in a different context, but yet you're still using those same patterns, you're going to hit a wall. And so th- that's kind of generally speaking how how a personality disorder would Of manifest into adulthood. But with narcissism, there's a couple, there's a couple kind of um, scenarios. One would be this golden child syndrome, where um, one of the kids in the family is the golden child. They can do no wrong. They have very high expectations placed on them. They have zero consequences to any of their actions. So they get in trouble. They don't make the soccer team. Whatever the case is, the parents will save the day. And also, emotionally save the day. So, as parents, we don't like to see our kids upset. If my kids are crying, you know, it it hurts me, right? But they need to be able to learn how to regulate their own emotions. So, I don't save them. They know I'm there if they need me, but they have to figure that out on their own. And what in our, what, what what happens a lot of times with parents is they'll jump in and save this. So the child never learns how to regulate their own emotions. They learn no emotional coping skills. They have no psychological immunity, let's say. So they don't know how to navigate that through life. Um, and they're viewed as like, you know, at nothing I I do is wrong. Rules don't apply to me. So that's
0: why. so fascinating because I can think of multiple people <laughs> like mm-hmm. growing up. Mm-hmm. That is what I witnessed. And to me, it was like, well, why why do their parents fix everything for them and not for me?
1: Yes. Yes. Correct. And it's, there is really no kind of rhyme or reason, um, but a narcissistic parent will pick one one child. Yeah, um, yeah.
0: I'm glad you mentioned that because there are some listener questions about narcissistic parents that I do want to jump into, and then we'll kind of flip flop back yeah. and forth with relationship stuff. But um, one was, let's find it. Where to go? Where to go? How do you spot? narcissistic characteristics in parents or siblings?
1: Um, so my first answer is, you'll know. Um, so parents and siblings look look different. So I'll start with parents. And, and mothers and fathers look different. So narcissistic fathers, um, they, they are... The kids are in the way. Children are in the way. They get in the way of their life. They are objects. And they only are attentive or quote show love when they need something specific from that particular child. When that purpose is served, they're of no importance anymore. Almost as if they don't exist and you'll see when when parents go through divorce, narcissistic it's particularly dads, narcissistic dads, it's as if the kids really just didn't exist. And the only time they pay attention to them is to screw with the other parent in co-parenting situations. So that's dads a lot. And I'm, and I'm generalizing, I'm sure, you know, people have different experiences, but just generally speaking, moms, in my opinion, having worked with people, moms are the most difficult because the dads, the mom seems to protect everyone. And everyone's walking on eggshells for the dad. Dad's usually out a lot. And, not really around, and absent. And when he is home, it's abusive. Narcissistic moms are a little bit different. Narcissistic moms view their children as extensions of them. They are many versions of them. And if they deviate from that course, the narcissistic mom will view it as abandonment, as betrayal, how dare you? How dare you do X, Y, and Z? I birthed you, I raised you, I supported you. I did everything a mom is supposed to do with no contingency. Like you, these are things you're supposed to be doing, but yet they hold it over your head. Um, Any autonomy that the child has from the parent, from the mom is viewed as abandonment and is not supported. And the mom tends to kind of play this victim role that, you know, my children don't talk to me. And when, Really, it's just the children are growing their wings and wanting to fly and making their own decisions, and you don't have control over that. Narcissism is all about control. You don't have control over that anymore, and you can't handle that.
0: Yeah. And what about siblings?
1: Yeah. So siblings, what typically happens with siblings is that is usually where somebody in in a family is either selected as the golden child or – One child, for whatever reason, is favored or more attention is paid to them, either on purpose, not, you know, sometimes it just one child just sucks the life out of you more than another child does. Um, And they just, in response to that, develop this pattern of, let's say they were always the one that couldn't do anything right. So they grow up thinking, you know what, no one's going to ever tell me that again. I am going to be the one that tells people when they're doing something wrong. No one's going to do, you know, no one's going to do that to me. I have control over that. And so they kind of put up this armor and this facade and, you know, they become extremely difficult. They they tend to triangulate a lot in families as do narcissistic parents. They like to be the owners of information. So they'll tell one family member, one thing, one family, another, another thing. And, and they use it as a way to keep everybody separate, but they're kind of in the center cause a lot of emotional problems, holidays, things like that. They're just, Everyone has to walk on eggshells around them.
0: Yeah, it's a really like gaming the system and trying yeah. to like play it your own way. Yes. Yeah. All right, two more quick family dynamic ones and then I want to get back into some relationship stuff. But um, how to deal with a daughter-in-law narcissist keeping your son from you and your family?
1: Okay, so I get this question a lot and I would be lying if I didn't say that sometimes it's the opposite where it's the narcissistic parents saying that the girlfriend's fiance wife took her son away from her just putting that out there that happens often um often within narcissism um but in this case if you have a narcissistic daughter-in-law son-in-law whatever and you feel that they have caused a wedge Or you feel that they've isolated that child from you. A parent's natural reaction, because I have a patient with this happening, a parent's natural reaction is to like fight, like fight for that child, pound on their door. You know, go get them. Right? You can't do that in this situation, unfortunately, because you're not present all the time. You don't have as much control over this. And if they are with a narcissist, the narcissist is gonna do a damn good job of like character assassination of you, of making their partner think that you're too controlling, you're too invasive, and um, you know, they they don't like how they treat you, and they're gonna slowly start to isolate you from friends and family. It's a very common move with narcissists, so that you don't have any anybody that's objective to the relationship who can tell you, listen, you're, this is not good. You need to get out. So they like to keep you from that. So that's a big reason why that would happen. So what I tell parents who are in this unfortunate situation is to let their child know they love them. They're there for them, no matter what. And just constantly remind them of that because if that's what they're doing, there really is very little that the narcissist, they'll try. But if you maintain your boundaries and you just continuously let that child know how you feel and you love them, don't bash the other spouse. Don't bash the spouse. Don't say we don't like how this is going. Don't even bring them up. Yeah, You ask how they're doing and that's it. You don't, you just boundaries because they want you to attack them. They want that.
0: Yeah. And I think that like constant reminder of like, we love you. We're here for you Mm -hmm. also would be really helpful if the person does realize what's happening and then they have their support system to lean on.
1: Yep. That's exactly why I have them do it. Cause at some point they're going to need that. And as a parent, that, that is the most important thing.
0: Yeah. And as much as I guess, like you can be resentful and upset about the situation, it's like you have to prioritize the person you love and make sure that they know that you love them yeah. yeah I think that's really smart all right my last one in this little round is how would you know if a friend is a narcissist
1: mm-hmm. I had one of these <laughs> so and how was that <laughs> um <laughs> um well I'll, I'll explain the process of what, of what you do and how you, so i don't i don't speak to them um, by my choice so a narcissistic friend it's somebody who you just kind of always either have this feeling this pit in your stomach or you know when you go to meet your friends you're excited you can't wait to see them like even if you're tired just like it's easy a friendship with a narcissist is never easy you're going to have anxiety you're going to constantly be on guard. You're going to constantly watch what you say. You're going to constantly be walking on eggshells. They're just going to stop talking to you for two weeks and you're going to be wondering, what did I do? What did I do? Because you don't want your friends to be mad at you. And so you, did I do something? Did I hear You're cuts? Const- it's like that person, like you don't, at this age, like who do you really argue with your friends? It's the person you just keep, there's just stuff and you feel it. They're not happy for you. They're not supportive of your accomplishments. Um, they don't, you know, it's those people that don't clap when you, you know, it's, it's those people and they're very passive aggressive. And you'll say like, did they, they wouldn't do that. They're my friends. Like, no, that's in my head. And so it's like gaslighting in a way because you think you're crazy, but to everybody else, they're very sweet. And so it's just, they may purposely be sweet to other people. And, and you'll see that they tends to have this pattern of like locking in on one person at a time. They'll have a lot of other people, but they like lock in. And then when they're done, then they go to lock in on someone else and they lock in on someone else because they need that constant supply. They need that constant. They like to know that they have control over your emotions. They like to know that they're making you anxious. They like to know that they made you happy. They like to know they made you upset, um, Yeah, it's 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 and it's hard to get out of because, again, most people are inherently good people. And so you fight to try to make your friendship work. You give them a million chances, Um, you know, and just like a narcissistic relationship. It's a little scary to get out of.
0: Yeah. And I think even more so than a romantic relationship like friendships are really hard to break off. You know, we were never really taught how to end a friendship or that it was okay to. And, you know, I I see content out there now about like friendship breakups and I think it's really helpful for people to realize, like just because you were friends with someone at one point, that does not mean your friendship needs to be forever. But those can be really difficult, especially when you have other friends in common. You know, it's like, well, I don't want to like rock the boat here by... Yeah, it's really and you can, complicated. You know, you,
1: for people where you have to see them, like if your kids are in school together or you have the same friend group or your spouses are friends or whatever, you can still be out with them. Yeah. But you just set significant boundaries. Significant. If they text you, you only respond with facts. You don't respond to any emotion things. You just, it's just fact based and boundary. So you can be with them and you're civil, but that's as far as you go.
0: Yeah. Okay. So tying this back to romantic relationships, friendships, whatever it is, let's say you are in a relationship with a narcissist. You realize that this is happening. How do you get out?
1: So once you realize that you're in it, it's a very um, traumatic moment for people because They start to put the pieces together and then they start to really, really kind of beat up on themselves. Like, how the hell did I get here? How did I put my kids through this? How did I waste 20 years of marriage with this piece of shit? And they start to kind of go backwards in terms of, right, putting those pieces together. And that's normal because you you need to be able to do that to see it because what's going to happen is that narcissist is going to come back and come back and come back and come back. And sometimes it takes, I think it's like seven times on average for a person to finally leave for good. So I tell people when you figure this out and you leave, don't beat yourself up if you go back. Like assuming you're physically safe, you know, you're safe because yeah. it's a process. That's why it's not a normal breakup. You have to literally like – untangle yourself from this. Um, and each time you leave, come back, leave, come back, you gain more confidence. You gain more insight and awareness. But when you start to figure this out, you, you have to, if you can't get into therapy for whatever reason, a lot of times their finances are controlled. So you don't have access to finances. So you're stuck for that reason. And that's financial abuse. Um, try to find somebody that you can confide in to because I guarantee you that when you go to somebody that you've been disconnected from for a while and you say, like, listen, they're going to say, thank God. Yeah. No one's going to tell you to, like, F off because you haven't spoken to them for three years. They're going to be so happy that you finally understand this.
0: Because they probably saw it long before.
1: Long before. Yeah. So
0: once you do get out, let's say it took seven, Mm -hmm. eight, nine tries. Um, (laughs) And actually the show made did a really good job of showing – how many yes. times it actually takes Although someone's I didn't like leave? The yeah, I agree with that. But <laughs> yeah, I, I, that was a really interesting show. Definitely recommend it. Made, Maid M um, A I D for anyone who hasn't it just watched shows it
1: shows the emotional, like gut wrenching torture yeah. of trying not to get back with somebody. Yeah, it, it, yep. you know, like you see that pull, and it's it's like it, it it's I mean the model is that of addiction. So, yeah. so that's why it is actually that difficult. The chemicals in your brain—it's the same as addiction.
0: Yeah, absolutely. How
1: do you heal? From so this? you need you need therapy first and foremost, and you need therapy with somebody who is um, in tune to and aware of narcissistic behavior, because the way you get out of it is very different than a toxic. Not to minimize toxic breakups or breakups in general, because they are horrible and it's a grieving process. Um, The difference with this is that when you come out of a narcissistic abusive relationship, doesn't really matter if it's six months, six years, 60 years, people will say they feel like a shell of their former selves. Their sense of self is gone. It's just stripped away. And so they really need to rebuild who they are. And they don't know who they are. I mean, I have people that'll say to me, I remember this, this stuck with me forever. One woman was like, I don't even know my favorite color. I was told to wear this color and this color. I don't even, I don't know my favorite ice cream. I don't know what taste in music I like because you were told a narrative for so long to shape who you are so that the narcissist could control you, your reality, your perceptions, um, cause as long as they can control your reality, then anything you say that goes against it, they can say, you're crazy. What do you mean? You know, and gaslight you the whole time. So a lot of people come out of this having absolutely no idea who they are. And it is so scary because they're convinced. I mean, imagine having no access to finances. You know, if you're in a custody battle with a narcissist, I mean, it's brutal. Um, it's really hard. But what I always tell people is this, is that if you get out even though you are petrified, you already won because the best thing you can do is leave the narcissist. You want, I mean, and not, and not that I like making it a bat who wins, who loses, because it's a horrible situation all around, but you left and, and people that leave narcissistic abusive relationships are the strongest human beings I have ever met. So like, as far as I'm concerned, you got out, you're going to be okay. Like, now I know you're going to be okay. And I tell them, at some point, you're going to look back on these relationships when they're with someone else and blasting it on social media a week later, um, you know, or you realize they've been on a dating app for the last 10 years and none of your friends wanted to tell you. Um, You're going to, at a certain point, look at their behavior as so unbelievably, pathetically predictable. And you'll get to a point where you say, thank God that's not me instead of asking, why me? What did I do wrong?
0: Yeah. Wow. I mean, I've been in like the unhealthiest of unhealthy relationships and, and I felt like a shell of a human and completely broken and had to find my way back. And mm-hmm. I just, like can't even imagine a situation like this where there's kids involved, where there's financial abuse involved, physical abuse, whatever it is, like, and being 5 10 20 years in it like i that is so so terrifying.
1: Horrible. And horrible. And one of one of the other things too that you know there's you know you learn as a psychologist not to take things with you right because you'll you won't be able to function <laughs> after you leave work. But one of the things with narcissistic abuse that sticks with me always is that i can not it's just is is particularly women will come out of these relationships and they won't realize that they've been being sexually abused for decades. They don't realize that because they were so like so controlled and so gaslit that they didn't realize that it was abuse. And when they get out on the other side and they realize it, it's like you know the anger and the fear and all of that because it's it's not it, it's so it's done so calculated and so slowly that even the worst of abuse you think, if you know, how would you do, how could you put up with that? Like, why wouldn't you just leave? You can't. Yeah. You just can't. It's not like that. So, um, what, the worst thing, if you know that somebody's in an abusive relationship, the worst thing to say to them is just leave. Yeah. You say whatever you need, I'm here. And when you're ready, I'm here.
0: Yeah. You can't force someone to do something that they don't, A, don't need to do or don't think they need to do or don't feel yeah. ready to do
1: and then they'll keep things from you and that's not what you want
0: yeah and that's really painful that can be so painful as a friend to watch oh
1: horrible. your friend go
0: through that it's horrible yeah but like people ask me like how do I like support my friend how do I let my friend know like that they should leave it's like just tell them that you're there for them and exactly. that when they're ready you'll still be there exactly. um, and that's what my friends told me like they had approached me and said like We're concerned. We don't think you're okay. We've never seen you this upset. Like, we don't like how he treats you. And I kind of pushed them all away because I didn't want to hear it. And I defended him. And I said, "You guys don't know what it's like when it's just us." I I I made up every excuse in the book for his behavior. And I was really grateful that you know, after pushing all of them away, when I was ready to have help, they were all still by my side.
1: That's exactly right. That's exactly right. You'll you'll make you know, excuses for the other person's behavior. You'll focus on how you are when you're together. But the problem is, is they do that on, on purpose, right? Yeah. So that you can hold on to that and say, you don't know how it is. Um, you know, and, and as that's happening, you're isolating from friends and family, which again is 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 yeah. on purpose.
0: Yeah. Okay. Question, listener question. Okay, can a narcissist actually love someone and still act as a narcissist around the person they love?
1: No, they don't love people how you and I love people. They love people based on what they can get from them at any given moment. They love people because it looks good socially to say you're in love, to look like you're in love, looks like you're, you know, a solid person. Um, And when they get what they need from you, whether that's sex, money, um, control, usually it is control, but just within that, you know, whatever they need from you at that moment, if it's if it's work related or whatever the case may be, um, when they're done, they will discard you. You served that purpose. And for kids, you know, it could be, um, you know, they want to look like the good dad. So they show up to the soccer game, but then you don't, you don't see them at anything for like three months. Right. So once they're done, the purpose is served, they discard you, but I like to look at it as like, kind of like a shelf. And they put you back on the shelf, like a collection almost. And then when they need you again, they will take you out of their orbit, pull you back down. And that's where it confuses people, especially in dating, because typically, if you break up, a couple months go by, someone comes back, you may want to try to make it work and and it may be real. When a narcissist comes back, they're not coming back because they've missed you, despite what they say. They're not coming back because they love you. They're not coming back because they've changed, because they've gotten therapy, because they know what they did, and they're going to be different for you. None of that. That's what they'll say. But really, they're just doing it either because they're... Other supplies that they have laying around either aren't available or they want sex or they're bored or it's your birthday or it's a holiday or they know you're dating somebody or they know you just got engaged and that's when they're going to come back just to know that they still have access to you, just to know that they still can control you, your emotions if they want.
0: That's so tough. Yeah. That's so hard.
1: And I think that's that's why why people go back initially a lot because why, because why would we think otherwise? Right.
0: I think that that is one, you know, use case for why it's so important to block people, block people's numbers, Mm -hmm. block people on social media, like Mm -hmm. cut someone out of your life and don't feel guilty about it.
1: It's called going no contact. It's you cut them out. They will figure out a way to get back in touch with you either through somebody else Right. right? We call them flying monkeys through somebody else, through the people that they use in their world. Um, they'll just happen to pass by your office when they know you're leaving and they'll figure out a way, but you yeah. want to go what's called no contact if you can, which is you yep. block them, cut them out, no responses to anything.
0: Yeah. And every single day that goes by that you can remain no contact, the stronger you're going to get. Yes, for sure. And
1: And you will always feel a degree of uncomfortableness or anxiety or whatever, like we're human and what we went yeah. through is not normal. It's not healthy and it changes you. So it's, it's important to know that, that you're going to take that with you. It's not something to quote, get over. It's something to process through.
0: Yeah. That's, I love the, that phrase, like that's why it's called getting through something. Yeah. Cause you have to go through it. Yeah. Can a narcissist ever change?
1: So there are some therapists that would disagree with me on this. I think the majority will say what I'm going to say. And I know that I I get ugly messages about this all the time on social media when I say this, but no, they cannot change. They can fake empathy. They can fake love. They can fake whatever they need to, to get what they want. There is self there are self-aware narcissists, right? There are narcissists that know exactly they all know what they're doing, but there's narcissists that are more self-aware, let's say than others right. And so the degree to which you are self-aware can you facilitate some change in therapy? Yeah, but not not change where it would be pervasive to impact the way you see yourself in relation to others and the way you view other people in relation to you. It's just maybe, you know, instead of throwing a plate against the wall, you, you know, you don't do that in that moment, but, but right. But like, that doesn't, they're, they're going to, they're going to be like this, you know, they're not going to change. And so I let people know when they come see me, you know, is your goal to get out of the relationship or is your goal to stay in the relationship and learn the strategies as best as you can to deal with their behavior that will never change. And if anything will get worse. Right.
0: Yeah. No, I I think you're right. Thank you so, so much for being here. This has been one of the more important conversations we've had on this show. And I'm just so appreciative that you came on to talk about it. And to everyone who listened all the way through, thank you. I hope you learned something. Um, definitely learned a lot. So not, I hope you learned something, but thank you for, for being here through this learning experience. Um, before I let you go,
1: yeah,
0: what is the best piece of dating or relationship advice you've ever received?
1: I've ever received.
0: Or have to give.
1: Or have to give. Take your time. Take your time. Honestly, just take your time. And I feel that when you force things based on a time schedule, you tend to make bad decisions. Take your time.
0: I love that. That's perfect. Yeah. Dr. Z, thank you so, so much for being here. Where can everybody find you? Of
1: course. Thank you. Um, I missed what you said totally. Where can everybody find oh, you? Where you can you find me? <laughs> um, I'm on Instagram, Dr. Z Psychologist, and my website, Dr. Jamie Zuckerman.com. Um, I have a podcast, It's Me, Dr. Z, where we talk about narcissism and relationships and a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, yeah, that's where you can find me
0: amazing. And I will have all of that linked in the show notes. Thank Thank you again to everyone who listened. Thank you for tuning in. Don't forget to send this episode to a friend who you think should hear it, share it on your story. If you loved it, tag both of us and leave a five-star rating and review if you haven't yet. All right. Love you guys. I'll talk to you next time.